0: I'm Dr. Alicia Myers, Associate Professor of New Testament and Greek at Campbell University Divinity School, and this rhymes with orange. So
1: That's what we're going to talk about. <laughs> so we, uh, there's no secret that uh, Kate Stoneburner and Billy Liggett are fans of karaoke. We've talked about it a lot on this show before. We have. And uh, we're ready to present to you um, our third episode of the of the uh, podcast season with our guest Alicia Myers. But before we get into that, um, totally uns- unexpectedly, you open your laptop and you see that tonight is karaoke night for Campus Activities Board. Yeah, tell which, me more.
2: So obviously this is for students, but since you're planning on working oh, late tonight, shoot, and you're students. going to be here, I think that you <laughs> should definitely attend. It's from seven to eight thirty.
1: I will be here. Pizza
2: for their best performers.
1: For those of you who are fans of Campbell Magazine, um, I'm putting in a late night tonight to make that magic happen. And (laughs) (laughs) make that magic happen. That's not egotistical, Uh, but yeah, I'll be here. And you're saying karaoke night? Yeah. Uh, Where is it being held? Shouse. I don't know. That's for kids. What are you that's for students. Of? Nobody wants some 43-year-old has-been, oh, never was. On
2: the contrary, going up there I think that and, everyone uh, would think that's the most hilarious thing they've ever seen in their lives.
1: I'm not going for hilarity. I've told you this before. When I get on stage, I fully expect everybody to be 100% captivated, and I expect the slow clap at the end, and for everybody to wonder, what am I doing in this karaoke bar? Why am I not out there in the real world making millions off of this... Golden Are you the bo- kind of voice?
2: person who practices your <laughs> Emmy acceptance speech with your water bottle as a mic? Uh,
1: it's the egot. Thank you. I'm but, sorry, <laughs> um. my mistake. <laughs> <No>. Anyway, <laughs> anyway. Um, well, hey, uh, yeah. Back to why we're really here today. Um, uh, Kate, introduce uh, our guest today.
2: Our guest today is Dr. Alicia Myers. She's the associate professor of New Testament in Greek, and she has some. She has a great presence on our website right now because she was just elected to membership in the Society for Study of the New Testament, um, which was founded in 1939, and it's a really great accomplishment. So we're excited that we get to feature her today. Um, there's plenty to read up on her work, and we talk a lot about her work. Um, she her, focuses on motherhood and womanhood in the Bible, which is really interesting.
1: Her uh, latest book is Blessed Among Women, Mothers and Motherhood in the New Testament, and uh, in this interview, we talk about the backstory that led to her writing this book, and it's all um, very interesting, and I think she is a, uh, another solid entry into our growing list of Rhymes with Orange guests. Uh, I want to tease real quick, though, um, next week, uh, we just got through interviewing Dr. Tony Cartledge for next week's episode, and, uh, we're really excited about this one, too. He, um, is a friend of Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers, and, uh, his story was, uh, was really, really touching, and um, so if you enjoy this, then please come back next week because uh, it's a really good one too. So we're on a good little streak here. Yeah, we're having a good time. (laughs) So uh, enjoy Dr. Alicia Myers, and uh, thank you for listening to Rhymes with Orange.
2: Alicia, we're going to ask you a question that we ask all of our guests on Rhymes with Orange, and that is, how did you come to Campbell University?
0: So this is wrapped up with um, my eldest son being so sick his first year of life. Um, And things at my first institution. I really liked United, but I also missed being part of a university setting. Um, And I I didn't have that there. Uh, My coming to Campbell is really complicated by the fact that I could have come three years earlier and I decided to go to United and then the job opened at Campbell again and Dr. Terry Hogan called me and said, would you think about applying? And I was like, you're going to actually ask me to apply when I didn't come the first time. So, um, it kind of felt like, uh, a godsend of just like, this is a, you know, you were in Dayton for this season. Um, we had Keaton and then we were in the perfect place for him to have care, the care that he <laughs> needed when he became so sick. Um, at Dayton Children's they were fantastic and took care of him and then it was time for us our season to go to leave um and I remember thinking gosh I don't I Campbell if they ever had another opening there's no way they would ask me and New Testament world like New Testament scholars is a small world so I knew that the guy who was here before David Moffat Um, and so when he ended up going to St. Andrews and they called, I was like, really? Um, so I was actually out walking with Keaton. He was in the stroller. He still had a feeding tube at that point. So I had like his bag on my back and a backpack (laughs) and then like the tube hooking in and uh, Derek calls and asks if I would consider applying and that was the beginning of coming here. So we ended up being here and we're extremely happy here. Um, my husband works at Duke and... My boys are settled, and it's very nice. How
1: long ago was this?
0: We moved here in 2014.
1: Okay, so that makes Keaton He's seven. He's seven. Wow. Can you talk a little bit about what those issues were that first year?
0: He had uh, a variant of Guillain-Barre called Miller-Fisher syndrome. Um, and Guillain-Barre is when your body, like you get the flu or you get pneumonia, you get something. And your body creates an antibody to fight the virus, the infection, and the antibody begins attacking the myelin around your nerve. Um, and what that does is the myelin, the protein, gets destroyed by your body and then your nerves can't communicate, so you become paralyzed. So usually this presents in the legs first, but with Miller Fisher it starts in the eye. So he, oh, I had brought him home from daycare one afternoon, because he wasn't feeling well, and he took a nap, which he never did at home, and he woke <laughs> up, and one of his eyes was palsied, because his optic nerve had couldn't control it anymore. So, that was the beginning of it. We took him in, um, we saw an ophthalmologist, and he said, you know, it may just be this flu, and then over the day, at the hospital, he just became more and more flaccid, like he just couldn't respond, and then by that evening, he was intubated in the PICU, so it was terrible no one had any idea what was going on for the first almost week um but one of the intensivists went home over the weekend and he was like i just can't get this out of my mind and he was emailing with other pediatricians across the country and they finally landed on it and usually it presents an older if it's going to present it's older adolescence. and keaton was the youngest case they'd ever had um, But that was it and so then it was like well it's two weeks from onset that he'll start recovering and we have to do these sorts of therapies and so it was just a waiting game for two weeks before he started moving again and then he had to thaw it was literally like watching him thaw because he couldn't move at all and then to be able to
1: i've only ever heard of this because there's there's an athlete um i'm a football fan there's an athlete who had this last year who uh, who i follow and so um you said develops late in adolescence he's in his mid-20s I guess and he pretty much had to shut down for a year because you have to relearn everything just about so yeah that's got to be just you know for for you not to know and then go through that that's that's got to be pretty frightening
0: it was terrifying because he went from pulling himself up and like cruising along the couches to when we brought him home having to learn how to crawl again so I'd put him in front of a mirror and just having the muscle strength to do that like putting in front of the mirror and him figuring out how to crawl and you know so he wasn't walking until 14 or 15 months because he had to start over when we got him home um and he was doing PT and OT and speech for a year um and it was literally a year to the day where we went to his gastroenterologist was the last specialist he had and said he's cleared he's good to go um yeah, it was just, uh, it was a really hard year. I mean, the th- he obviously doesn't remember any of it. And right. If you yeah. met him, you would never think. <laughs> yeah. Any right. of that had ever happened. He's just a normal seven year old.
2: I think that would be difficult because then it's like it never happened, but you still have all these feelings of fear. Yeah, no, like him. I still
0: have stuff. So my thing, because swallow the swallow reflex comes back last, huh. and so like I have my anxieties around my kids swallowing things
2: sure yeah every time he eats <laughs> so so it like, there's hey, like not.
0: certain things when they're a little like when he would eat pizza i would freak out and i would just <laughs> i'd like clench my fist and because i'm like trying not to react in my face and be like this is you know this, this is fun yeah. <laughs> this is yummy and then he started clenching his fist when he would eat pizza i'm like oh, I oh my this. gosh I'm giving him some sort of nervous
1: that's uh so i mean i think crazy. all parents worry about that i, fr- I forgot it. i have i have three children they're all past the phase where I'm worried about them choking on every single thing yes, they really eat. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cutting the grates. Oh wow, yeah. Oh, those dream. are nightmares. Yeah.
2: Wow, I didn't know this was an issue. It
0: really is. Yeah, <laughs> you
1: worry about nuts? every single thing they put in their mouth, yeah. and even more so here. <laughs>
0: yeah. So then my three-year-old, like, he's had to deal with like the residual of that, even though he never had anything. Yeah.
2: To be like, Ooh. watch yourself. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, as a parent, that's an incredibly difficult time and you recently published a book on maternal metaphors Mm -hmm. in the new testament is that how you became interested in the topic of motherhood in the bible was it anything to do with that time in your life
0: um it overlaps but actually i hit on this topic i think it was the semester yeah the semester before i took prelims Mm -hmm. and i already had a dissertation topic which means don't switch. Like I had an advisor, I had a set for my comps. Like I'm not, I'm not going to switch my dissertation focus. And I knew my advisor would not be interested in it. Like I love him, but this was not going to be something he was very interested in. Uh, And so I had had taken a class with Beth Allison Barr, who's a historian at Baylor and read John 2, where there's this really weird exchange between Jesus and his mom. And Jesus' mom's never named in the Gospel of John. Like We know her name is Mary. That's from Luke and Matthew. Uh, But in the Gospel of John, Jesus' mom comes up to him and says, Hey, they ran out of wine at this wedding. Hint, hint. (laughs) And Jesus says to her, What's between you and me, woman? Which has a long history of interpretation of people saying, Well, it's not really that bad. It's not really that mean. And maybe it's not really that mean, but it's not like, the thing you say, it just, it's still weird. Like, regardless if it's not, like, what's between you and me, woman? Like, it's still a weird thing to say, even in the first century. And if you look at the other uses of this phrase in your Bible, mm-hmm. it's not said. Like, it's not a nice thing. Um, like, demons say it to Jesus in the other Gospels. What's between you and me, son of man? You know? So Interesting. Yeah. So, it was a weird thing. Um... And then eventually Jesus does change the water into wine. Uh, But I was curious with this pastor, like, what is this saying about Jesus' relationship with his mother in the Gospel of John, which meant I had to go look at, well, what's the relationship between mothers and sons in the first century? And then eventually I thought, well, what does it mean to be a mother in the first century? Honestly, where do ancients Mm -hmm. think babies came from? Like,
2: yeah, because our understandings
0: of conception and generation and childbirth and um, Childcare they impact who we think who we think we are as humans and so this of course would necessarily impact understandings of who Jesus is understanding of how he should or should not relate to his mom so that's yeah. actually where it started um and then I knew that I had to leave it alone finish the <laughs> dissertation and so when I started my first job at United I picked up this project wow. and so I was starting to research and write on it again when Keaton got sick mm. um and my sister um, had experienced pregnancy loss. She had had a stillbirth. And motherhood was something I always wrestled with. So it it went from being this, like, something I had pushed away, right? Oh, I want to go look at what is John doing with motherhood way over there to mm-hmm. suddenly it became, no, this is really personal. Like, being a mother. You know, it seems dumb, like, obviously.
2: Being a mother is personal. Yeah, yeah but right. I know. No.
0: But, you know, you have this academic, those people. Be- You know, I always tell my students academics chose books over people. So sometimes we're really bad at thinking about ourselves because we're just like, no, we're going to go research this thing and be (laughs) an expert in it instead of deal with our stuff. Um, But my stuff came back. And so um, that it became a really personal process. So then thinking about, well, what does it mean to be a mother in the first century and how we have constructed motherhood? Even in current Western societies, of course, and that's how I understand myself as a mother, my sister's understanding of herself, my mother, my grandmother's, and all of this. Um, and so the book took on a different shape. Um, and that's why the front of it has a has a very different preface that mm. talks about my own story, and my family's story, and then the introduction, I have connections to contemporary life. Because it's not just an ancient thing that we can go pick up and say, oh, that's interesting, and put it back down and walk away.
1: So now I'm interested in motherhood in the first century I, I know you read a whole book about this so we can't we, no can't, spoilers, we yeah. can't go uh, that deep into it but uh what what are the the highlights what what did you learn that sticks out to you most that uh, you think will be most interesting to to uh the general public i guess
0: um so I kind of divide i divided it into three main sections so the first one is really um Uh, like, conception. Like, what are the basic understandings of conception? And it's so crazy the things that are right about ancient understandings of conception, and the things that are really wrong, or the things that get right for the wrong reasons. So I present this to nursing students, and they're like, you know, Aristotle has some things right, but then it's really wrong. (laughs) Um, So, uh, kind of the understanding of, like, for the Hippocratics, this understanding that... Everybody contributes seed to the formation of a of a child. The mother contributes seed, and the, uh, and the father contributes seed. And then there's the seed battle that happens in the womb, and whichever <laughs> has more seed, that's the one that wins. So if your mom's nose seed won, you have a nose like your mom, and if your dad's finger seeds won, you have fingers <laughs> like your dad. It's kind.
1: I mean, that's kind of right though, that's isn't kind it? Of yeah. right. I do <laughs> hate
0: the phrase "finger seeds" a lot. <laughs> Everybody's like, Alicia should stop saying. Seeds. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's the yet, basics of
1: dna there exactly, yeah.
0: right so you're like that's right that's cool. um but this impacts the new testament work if you think about well who is jesus and how much does mary actually contribute to the identity of jesus so you can see this play out later on in christological controversies when they're like wait is jesus divine is jesus human mm-hmm. well what did mary put into jesus being right if you have a hippocratic understanding then you need to have some sort of Mary needs to be sinless, right? Because Jesus is sinless, sure. so we get the Immaculate Conception of Mary. So if you go read the Proto Evangelion of James, which is this, it's not in your New Testament. You didn't miss that one. <laughs> um, it's part of this collection called New Testament Apocrypha. It actually has her story of how she's sinless. Well, the only reason that's an issue is if you have a Hippocratic understanding of right where your kids come from. Right. Aristotle doesn't have that issue. He takes it differently. He says only the man contributes seed. The woman's just a vessel. She's just a yeah. vessel, right? And she, but you have menstrual blood, and that's the thing—the seed gets injected into and shapes it.
2: How oh, delightful! Yeah, happy. love that. Yeah, cool science. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> so arguably, you know, there's closer correspondences between the Gospel of John mm-hmm. and Aristotelian understandings of of identity and child conception, generation than in say Luke or Matthew. So wow. it impacts then who Jesus is, what's his relationship with God as Father versus mother so that was one thing the other thing which is my favorite chapter in the book um is the you are who you eat chapter which is all about breast milk and breastfeeding um, i saw you did a
2: how do i say this fed talk is that how you guys yeah pronounce i did this? A, can you
0: talk a little i about don't that? think we're allowed to use that name okay. anymore <laughs>
2: That makes sense to me because
0: <laughs> we all thought that's really a little probably too close. <laughs> it is very clever, however. Um,
2: wow. a theology TED talk, it's a great idea. Yeah. Um, it
0: was great. That was Dr. Wakefield. Um, uh, he's always good with. Those.
1: Did they get a letter? We <laughs> don't think so, but I think
0: that was a little bit of a concern. Okay, that sorry. letters might come just in so. Case. Um, yeah, I did a lightning talk on it and um, this theological education discussion there it is (laughs) (laughs) um but it's it's actually connected to this conception generation stuff because so if you believe that there's seeds in a woman's womb then they would believe that as the child grows right it presses the extra seed up and so then they thought that's what makes breast milk is like the extra seed gets put into the breasts and warmed up and then that's what milk is Hmm. that is so interesting yeah so then when you're a baby (laughs) And you're just eating your mother's milk. So you're eating the exact same thing you were eating inside her womb.
2: So then you shouldn't be adopted or anything where you're no. nursing from another woman? Or no. that's bad? Is that a connection? I'm you thinking? have to
0: remember that ancient writings are only about elite people and they're okay. written by elite men. So they, I mean, they really, they, frankly, they don't care about <laughs> okay. most of the population. <laughs> they only care about people of their same status. And there is this concern in the first century, like, we want noble women breastfeeding their own children. That's the ideal. Everyone the else ed- can have well, it. Well, they don't care, right? Like, yeah. if you want your slave to go do stuff and you don't you don't have time to breastfeed your child, then she's not going to get to breastfeed her child, mm-hmm. frankly. Um, but the other thing is, is the fact that they're so preoccupied with it means it's not happening a lot, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because they're responding to... Oh, All these women are hiring wet nurses instead of being proper mothers. Sure. Um, So they have these physiological arguments and that bolster the cultural ideal that they want. And so they would say, you know, whatever the child's eating at your breast, those are the same seeds that formed them in the womb. And since you have superior seed as a noble woman Mm -hmm. with your nobleman husband, of course you want this child eating your seeds continually and this forms a true bond between you otherwise they're going to eat foreign seed or like some what is uh February's right some silly greek nursemaid <laughs> and then your child will have attachment to her and not to you yeah um but in the jewish context it's still similar and that you're not supposed to breastfeed have your child be breastfed by anyone who's a non non jewish mm-hmm. So there's there's more communicated through breast milk than just food. It's absolutely identity, um, character formation. It's who you are. So if you think about Moses, Moses had to be breastfed by his mother. He wasn't breastfed by an Egyptian woman. Mm-hmm. I mean, this shows a preoccupation way back, way back when. So
1: thousands of years later, though, I don't feel like our overall mindset on this subject has changed a whole lot. Right. So. It's true. Yeah. I mean,
2: now it's probably more about. Antibodies and stuff. So, but yeah. People are so, still weirded out by that, but it's yeah. so
0: similar, right? Yeah, because it's like no, something is special between yeah, you and a your bond. own child. through this this giving of breast milk. Uh-huh. Well, now we just term it like an antibodies. And, yeah, um, but we do the same sort of shaming thing, and it is still class. Yeah, right. So there is there is an assumption around class and breastfeeding still because breastfeeding is not easy to do unless you stay at home or if you have a profession that enables you to take a half hour every three hours to go do sure. this oh the nightmares um, are, are coming back all, all
1: of the uh, all of the equipment we had to buy right. and all the the so storage yeah. and and uh if any of it was wasted how angry my wife got because <laughs> do you know how hard that is to make <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: yeah yes. and yet we don't like if you don't have time for it there's always formula but we always say yeah. well that's not as good right so it's and like there's a, yeah. always
0: the story of the mothers in the formula aisle with somebody coming up behind her saying, and saying oh, oh, no. oh what can I do? yeah mother's milk is best <laughs> you know we do all this mommy shaming but like if you have an hourly job mm-hmm. no. that's not gonna happen this, there is no way because lactating is a full-time job like it it it's really hard. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's one of the hardest things I've ever done. Like, it's just, it's extremely difficult. And, um, yeah, so there's still class, and there's race issues around infant Mm -hmm. feeding now. But why this matters for the New Testament is that we have a lot of milk metaphors. Mm -hmm. Paul uses milk metaphors. First Peter has some. Hebrews has some. So these milk metaphors where Paul's like, remember your, you know, the milk that I fed you with. Well, Mm -hmm. milk for him, it's not just like, Food. Yeah. It's not just food. Like he's talking about this character forming, identity substance, and he's picturing himself as a mother, or very, at the least a wet nurse. Mm-hmm. So
2: what is going on here? Yeah, I think I want to read this book. <laughs> um,
0: this is great. It's going to come out in paperback soon. It's, it's
1: okay. called, uh, and I'm, I'm looking at your your bio here. Is this the blessed blessed among women is yeah. mothers and motherhood in the New Testament? Mm-hmm. Okay, and it's Oxford University Press.
0: Yes, and it will be out in paperback. I think in October.
1: Okay, so well, so it will
0: be cheaper than it is now. <laughs> That's the important thing.
1: Well, I mean, this book is is uh, I guess a big reason why you were named the uh, I don't have the title of this big long name of this award, but you were the <laughs> the uh, top research faculty member. We'll just say that okay, at I Campbell that University. In. Yeah, and I'll, I'll go back and edit that in. I don't think I will. Um, <laughs> uh, the top research professor here at Campbell University this year. And then last year, you won the Dean's Excellence Award for Research. So this is two years in a row, or two out of the last three years, I guess, that uh, you've been um, you've been honored for your research here. And so, at least to my question, which is, uh, um, Campbell isn't necessarily considered a research university, but we have a lot of professors here that do a lot of really great research. What, what's your thought on a professor's responsibility to not only teach their students, but also... Um, Researching their field and trying to, you know, teach beyond the university, I guess. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, for me, it's a sense of calling, and it also has to do with kind of how we work as a team in the Divinity School as faculty um, and also context. So, honestly, a lot of my male colleagues get asked to come and preach or be Mm -hmm. an interim pastor. I'm not ordained, not because I don't think women can be ordained, but just because I don't feel like that's my calling. but uh, just matter of fact, I'm not going to get asked to preach as much as my male colleagues. Sure. Mm-hmm. But one way that I can influence and affect people far beyond Campbell University is by writing. So I write a variety of things. I, I write things directed toward pastors or toward people who are um, working on preaching. So like um, in lectionary homiletics or workingpreacher.org. Um, but I also then write academic things because... That's the that's really the role I see myself playing as part of the team at the Divinity School. So then I have connections with scholars all over the world,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that helps that helps us as a university of people just knowing about Campbell. And also I just really like to do it. Um, it fits my personality. I want to ask the deep weird questions. You know, like what is mother's milk in the ancient world? <laughs> you know, just kind of weird stuff. Um, when I'm reading. The New Testament, so this feeds that, um, and I like to write, so it works out. Um, (laughs) It helps my teaching for me because the things that I get excited about, um, it helps me have more excitement in the classroom. Things don't get dry. I redo lectures every time I give them. I'm always going to change something because I've always read something else. Um, It helps when I know the people that we're reading, which clearly doesn't always happen, but sometimes somebody can ask, well, what does Jamie Clark Souls mean by this? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, she probably means this just because you actually know these people. Uh, And then it helps the students get a broader view of, oh, wait, you mean we, even though we're here, we're in Buies Creek, North Carolina, which can seem so small, like we can have these connections. We can have this reach. We can have this voice. Yeah, you can. Like the things you do – matter like they have ripple effects there are waves so i like to show them that um and show them that they can do it we've had students in the divinity school who've also published work that they've um completed in school and some of them have gone on to get phds um but most of them are going to be pastors or working in some sort of parachurch ministry and they can still have impact so i just try to model that for them
2: that's great and you mentioned Well, you didn't mention, but I'm going to bring it up anyway. There are different schools of thought as to what the Bible says about women in leadership. Mm -hmm. And I would definitely say that Campbell is a fan of women in leadership to a point. Um, So you're a female scholar and you have this voice and you're writing. Well, your most recent writing is about women. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that probably, even to those who don't believe women should be pastors, lends you this voice of authority. You Mm -hmm. are a mother and you're writing about motherhood. Mm -hmm. Do you ever feel or encounter difficulties with being a female academic scholar on a biblical work that has some certain connotations that women should have a lesser voice sometimes.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, but I mean, I kind of like it. I, I like kind of being the, hey, I, you know, I mean, yeah. there is that little bit about this is why I'm not a pastor. So I'm an academic. There's that little bit about being an academic that's like, well, let's turn it upside down and let's mm-hmm. explore it. Um but yeah, I mean, I've definitely, I definitely get uh, mistaken for a student a lot, especially at the beginning of the year. Um, Same. So at the beginning of the year, yeah, I'm always wearing my my name badge, but, so then
2: good move. Yep. Yeah. That helps. Um, but
0: I've definitely walked into the classroom and people not known that I'm the one who's going to be teaching the class, or people call me things they shouldn't, like well, young lady. Um,
2: I mean, which is, which is thank always, you. Which is
0: always easy, Try, I would, try that again yeah, <laughs> I like i'd take sweet, advantage but, of that like I, I would on my <laughs> like first class
1: you. i would sit in the front row and say hey have you heard about dr myers <laughs> what have you heard i am her <laughs> yeah, I am um, automatic f
0: yeah um
1: oh it has gotta happen
0: <laughs> so i think i think i kind of i have a reputation at this point point. Mm-hmm. I hopefully it's a good one i i mean with the students are kind of known as sort of uh, tough, but fair. Um, and we definitely, we're going to talk about all those passages that are used to say women shouldn't be in leadership. And we're going to, like, we're going to pick them up and we're going to look at them and we're going to look at both sides of them. And, um, I sometimes feel like being a woman actually gives me permission to push a little bit farther than being a man. Cause I'm already, I'm already different when I'm standing in front of the classroom. So then talking about, um, women in leadership, or frankly, there's, a, there's a lot of sex in this book. So like talking about issues of gender and sex and, um, race and, um, ethical issues, I think it gives me a little bit more freedom because I've already messed up the general paradigm yeah. if somebody walks into the room. So yeah, I mean, everybody gets pushback, but
2: it's... In an exciting way. Yeah. yeah. I
0: mean, you get used to it in some ways and you just realize like this is just part of your calling and mm-hmm. if, i mean if i were a man and who I looked the part i would still have challenges they would just look differently like it, maybe it would be harder for me to bring out these issues yeah. because people would say well no wait you're supposed to be this way and you're not mm-hmm. so the challenges would just Definitely. be different
2: and that kind of, in a way, leads me to another question. This is just a personal, I think this is interesting. Um, when you are interpreting Bible passages, do you have a translation or do you have commentaries or do you use anything in the classroom that you tell your students, like, this is trusted or is it more of a, when we're exploring this, we're doing it from a, like, just baseline. This is us reading the word of God.
0: So I always tell my students they should take Greek and I probably irritate with them with that. But it just there's nothing that will change your understanding of scripture, mm-hmm. like knowing the biblical languages. Like you just can't. I, there's things I cannot explain to you in English. Different words just doesn't work. Yeah. Um, so I usually bug them about that. But yeah, I give them resources. So there, I the primary text we use in New Testament class is Bible, um, and that's where we're gonna start. But then I do try to give them different types of resources and we'll talk about okay if you're if you're just starting to use commentaries and start over here and if you know and so because all commentaries have different um, purposes and really it's the boring thing, but the preface is really important because it's where the series editor will tell you this is what we're trying to do here. And if you don't know Greek and the preface says this is about exploring the grammar of the Greek language, <laughs> like close that one, put it away. So can, you know, don't get a different lens. Go yeah, on. Then yeah. You don't do that to yourself. It's not worth it. Um, so we'll do that. I also talked to them about different presses, different publishers, mm-hmm. and kind of like there's a spectrum of publishers, and every publisher has sort of a a niche of what they're trying to do like is this a denominational church press they're going to have one way to go is this an academic press like Oxford like any university press is an academic press like mm-hmm. it's going to be a little bit more scholarly you know um is this a, kind of an ideological niche press then that's what you're going to get and then I tell my students it's good to read things from a spectrum so if you're going to read something from intervarsity press great go pick something up from Orbis too if you're just going to read from Orbis, go pick something up from InterVarsity, right? so that way you're hearing the spectrum of the conversation, and you're not just in this echo chamber. Um, so I try to equip them to do that and to feel comfortable. That's great. Doing that. I
1: think we're out of time. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> that that <laughs> I'm went talking, really. I'm talking your ears. No, out. no, no we, went, uh, we went, we went, we uh, went um, over actually, and that's actually really good because, um, you know, this was very interesting and. Uh, um, thank yeah. you so much for
2: coming <laughs> yeah. on our podcast um listeners check out blessed among women it's oxford university press and you can always find dr alicia myers at campbell divinity school um, what else are we gonna say for her
1: that's it <laughs> thank you <laughs> all right okay odd, odd dismount there fine. but we're <laughs> <It'll be fine. laughs> we'll edit it it'll sound great no it was, that was i great. trust
2: editing too much i think i just kind of talk you until sound. we
1: edit